0: All right. We went through Toronto, Boston. We went through Tampa, Florida, Ottawa. Who's next? The Detroit Red Wings. We go through Detroit coming up here on the Locked on Sabres podcast. Your Locked on Sabres, your daily podcast on the Buffalo Sabres. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome. It is the Locked On Sabres podcast. Joe DiBiase, thanks for everybody for making us your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts, including our YouTube channel, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, an exciting show to get to today, a team that I love to hate on in the Detroit Red Wings. The next subject matter for our sale across the Atlantic Division. We're going team by team, breaking down what they were last year, what their offseason looked like, and whether or not they are ahead of or behind the Sabres going into 2023-24. And next up is Detroit, or as Rob Ray likes to say, uh, Detroit. We will go through what they did this offseason, some big trades, big signings, a very different type of build than the Sabres are going through. And also a different type of build than I think many would have expected Steve Eiserman, the Red Wings GM, to go through. So that's coming up here on the Lockdown Sabres podcast. We'll compare the Sabres and the Red Wings head to head and uh, plenty more on Detroit. On today's show. If you want to reach out and get a hold of us on the socials at Sneaky Joe Sports, at Lockdown Sabers, on Twitter, you're also able to get a hold of us on our YouTube channel. If you go into the comment section, comment or question there, we will see it and sh- uh, share it on the show. Uh, our latest from at Sends Outlook. So we got a Senators fan uh, on the hook here for a comment on our most recent show on the Ottawa Senators, where I broke down Ottawa and really got into why I think the Sabers are slightly ahead of the Sens, but I do think both teams are on the come and that there is a very good chance that both teams could find their way into the playoffs, but at least one coming into the next season. Uh, at Sens Outlook says, I do like what you have to say here. I think the Corpusalo signing was as big as it was because it's never easy to convince free agents to come here, talking about Ottawa, so something had to give. However, when you mentioned Tereschenko being a defensive liability, which he is not great defensively. DeBrinket was a minus 31, so I can't see Tarasenko being worse. But all in all, I think both the Sens and Sabres make the playoffs next year and can see Florida due to injuries and the Islanders missing. I do think the Islanders will miss also. I do not think Florida is going to miss. The one thing I would have to say on your tarasenko DeBrinket comparison is don't come at me with plus-minus. I don't mind you making the case that Tarasenko and DeBrinkit are more comparable defensively than I gave them credit for. I said Tarasenko is one of the worst defensive forwards in the league, and DeBrinkit at times can hold the zone. Maybe they're, they are closer than I made that out to be, but don't come at me with plus-minus. It is 2023. We do not use plus-minus anymore. Um, but anyways... A valid comment, I think, on the Sens. Uh, if you missed our ap- episode on the Senators, wherever you get this podcast, one episode before. Today, we're going to break down the Detroit Red Wings. We'll get to what Steve Eiserman did this offseason and whether I think the Sabres are how far ahead they are of the Red Wings this season. But starting with last year, the Red Wings finished the 22-23 season 35-37-10. That was... Not good. It was near the bottom of the conference. It was good for second last in the Atlantic Division, only better than the Montreal Canadiens um, with 80 points on the season. The Red Wings, some of their advanced numbers were not strong as well. They ranked out of 32, 26th in expected goals for at 5-on-5. And that missed playoffs season by the Red Wings means that they have now missed the playoffs seven years in a row. The Sabres drought, if they end it, the Red Wings are going to be right up there, longest drought in hockey, seven years in a row. In fact, the last time the Detroit Red Wings made the playoffs, Henrik Zetterberg was on their team. Pavel Datsuk was on their team. Brad Richards was on their team. Nicholas Cronwall was on their team. Ryan Miller's brother, Drew Miller, was still hanging around playing on that team. That team was ancient. Jimmy Howard, I mean, it has been a long, long, long time since Detroit made their way to the playoffs. That was the 2015-16 season where they lost the Tampa Bay Lightning in the first round. And in fact, the Red Wings have not won a playoff series since they were in the Western Conference. That's right, 2013 The Red Wings moved to the Eastern Conference. They have not won a playoff series since that happened. Their last playoff series win was over the Anaheim Ducks. It's been a long, long, long time. In fact, if you want to look at some of the players on the last team that won a playoff series for the Red Wings, Johan Franzen is a name. Valtteri Filpula is a name. Jordan Tutu. Patrick Eves still running around out there playing some hockey. It's been a long time. That's the point. It's been a long time. Todd Bertuzzi. Okay, wait, there's the name. I missed him. He only played seven games that year, and that's why I missed him. The last time the Red Wings won a playoff series, Todd Bertuzzi was still playing hockey and was on their team. And it's not tracking well, in my opinion. I do not believe they're getting close to a playoff spot, but we'll get to that coming up in a little bit. Last year, they do not come close at all. 80 points put them 12 points back of a playoff spot. Dylan Larkin led the way, 79 points. Um, they really were reliant on their veterans, which is not where you want to be. Four of the Red Wings' top five scorers last season were 26 years old or older. Dylan Larkin, 26. David Perron, 34. Dominic Kubelik, 27. Andrew Kopp, 28. By the way, their goaltending, not strong either. Billy Huso. They acquired him in the offseason. He started 56 games, 896 save percentage. Ville Husso, Alex Nedeljkovic, Magnus Helberg, the three goaltenders that made up the majority of their games. They, In fact, they were the only three goalies that appeared last year. All three had a sub-900 save percentage. All three struggled mightily all year. Why I'm so down on the Red Wings. They, I, I don't mind making a move here, a move there, bringing in veterans, free agents, trades to boost up your young group and get them over the top to success. The problem is all of the Red Wings' success offensively came from veterans. It was artificially inflated. Look at some of the players they've acquired over the last couple of years. You had last year a big free agent signing in, Andrew Kopp, $5.6 million on a five-year deal. You had David Perron, 35 years old, two-year deal, $4.7 million. How about Ben Sherriott at 32 years old, four-year deal, $4.75 million. Ole Mata, 28 years old. Three years, $3 million per year. I mentioned the Huso trade that they made. All of the guys they brought in are these aged, middle-of-the-road veterans. And the young players that were supposed to be the fuel behind the Red Wings' resurgence not only didn't take steps forward like the Sabres guys have, they took steps back. Maurice Sider, big star, defensive prospect, Norris, uh, or not Norris, Calder candidacy in his first year. He went from 50 points in year one to 42 points in year two. Lucas Raymond, young Swedish offensive dynamo, supposed to be the fuel behind the Red Wings resurgence. He goes down from 57 points to 45 points. In a year where everyone in the league was seeing a boost offensively, the Red Wings' two young stars both went down. That is a very troubling sign, if you ask me, because those two are the most important players on the entire Red Wings roster. I'll get to why I'm so sour on the Red Wings, and it really has to do with the job Steve Eiserman is doing as Red Wings general manager. I did not think when he was hired a couple of years ago that I would be here saying that today. But I am here saying that today. It's Eiserman's fault that I'm down on them, And I'll get to that when we come back here on the Locked on Sabres podcast, what he did this offseason as well. But before we do that, we want to remind you to head over to FanDuel Sportsbook. They've got all the odds you need. In fact, I'll save this for you a little bit. The Sabres odds at FanDuel for the win the Stanley Cup. A lot higher than they are for the Detroit Red Wings. FanDuel knows what's going on on that front. You got Women's World Cup going on right now. You have some big golf tournaments. You have big boxing fights and UFC fights. And, of course, you have Major League Baseball. And right now, take your first swing. At betting Major League Baseball on FanDuel, and you get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets, up to $200. That's right, just bet 20 bucks, you'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. That's $200 you could spend betting everything from the money line, the over under, who's going to get the first home run, strikeout, over under props, all on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you get paid. Instantly, there's no better place to bet on MLB than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. So sign up today, visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on FanDuel, an official partner of Major League Baseball. Welcome back to the Locked On Sabres podcast with Joe DiBiase. We are a part of the Locked On podcast network, your, your team every day. The Red Wings are not our team. You can check out the Lockdown Red Wings podcast if you want more on uh, Detroit. Why I'm so down on the Red Wings? It's Iserman. To me, it is Steve Iserman. He is take a few years into his build now as Red Wings GM, and I do not think he is much closer to putting the Red Wings back into contention as to when he showed up. When did he show up? I mean, we're talking now. This is four years. This will be the fourth year that Iserman is the GM. And he's building almost seemingly the opposite way that he used to in Tampa. Tampa, it was all about nailing late round picks. It was nailing late round picks. And he hasn't had all the time in the world to do that with the uh, with the Red Wings. But if you look at the Lightning, If you look at the Lightning and the timeline that it took the Lightning to get on track after he showed up, I mean, he gets hired in 2010, the 2010 offseason, his first season as Lightning general manager. The Lightning made it to the conference finals where they lost in game seven to the Bruins. They were one game away from the Stanley Cup. Then, yes, they went to the bottom for a couple of years. Year four, they were back in the playoffs. And then forever after, They've made the playoffs every year except one. Every year except one. They've been in the finals multiple times, but right out of the gates in Tampa, Iserman had his team in the conference finals one game away from the Stanley Cup, and two years later, they were right back in the playoffs. And the Red Wings have not even really been close to the playoffs under Iserman. Why is that? Well, I don't want to quite write off his drafting. They don't have the production yet. Four years in, I think you'd like to see more than you got. You know, Cider and Raymond. I'm still a believer in those two being great players. They just took step back steps back last year. So I'm a believer in those two. But that's it. And you gotta have more on more on your resume than that. The good news is, it appears as though there's another wave of drafts coming, of prospects coming for the Lightning. Everywhere you look, they have one of the highest-ranked prospect pools. Um, I saw you know, Yahoo had them ranked as the number three prospect pool in hockey. Scott Wheeler of The Athletic had the Red Wings ranked as the number four prospect pool in hockey. Those prospects, though, are still a year or two away, even the first wave, I think, from showing up. So this is not an immediate solution, but maybe a future solution for Detroit. And in the meantime, they're kind of – getting stuck in these bad contracts, or they're at least overpaying for middle-of-the-road free agents. In this offseason, they continued that trend. I mentioned last offseason that they did it with David Perron, and they did it with Andrew Kopp and Ben Chariot and Billy Huso. Well, they dove right back in this offseason. J.T. Comfer, five years, $5.1 million a year. I like J.T. Comfer. He's a good middle six centerman, great defensively, I just cannot get there on $5.1 million. I think he's about a $3.5 million hockey player. And to give him five years at that cap hit, to me, was a way overpayment by Detroit. Shane Gossespierre, one year, $4.1 million. Maybe a little bit of an overpayment for Gossespierre, but at least it's only one year on that front. The player that they added that's a veteran that I at least – I like this idea that they pulled off was the Alex DeBrinca trade. Now, I don't even know how much – credit I want to give Iserman though because to who's from Michigan made it clear he wanted to go home so they kind of walked into that one they really didn't have to do anything to get to but they did get the job done they made the trade they signed him to a four-year 7.8 million dollar contract and probably will plug him right in on their top line but listen that's a player that couldn't put Ottawa over the top so why why am I supposed to believe he's so good that he'll put Detroit over the top I like to nice player 30 plus goal scorer. He'll help. You know, he's better than Dominic Kubelik, who they traded away to get to Brinkett. But no, not a core foundational player that I'm expecting to, to fuel um, Detroit getting back to the playoffs. So I don't like their offseason. I like the Brinkett trade, hate the comfort contract, and I guess Spear is all right. Um, but to me, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't what They should have wanted Justin Hall, also, by the way, who was easily the the Leaf's worst defenseman. Holy cow, three years, $3.4 million. That might be the worst contract that they have on their books. I can't believe that that player got $3.4 million. And again, Hall, who is 31 years old, Iserman's just throwing money wherever he can get it. He's spending it like he's got those Florida state income taxes uh, to benefit. Himself still, and I, I just don't see it. I don't see what Iserman is doing. It's confusing to me, um, and I don't like the job he's doing. And what's dangerous about having a legendary player in charge of your team, and he's making some uh, some wrong decisions? It is very awkward to have that situation, because firing that guy is not. Easy. It's not just oh, we get rid of him. You know, the, to make a football comparison, the Denver Broncos with John Elway went through five, six years of him doing a horrific job, and I mean they couldn't really move on from him because it's John Elway. He's a god in Denver, and Iserman is that in Detroit. Not to say they would want to fire him already, but if two, three years go by and this thing's not on track, I, I would struggle to think that they'll have an easy time getting, getting out from him. Um, so we'll see what happens with, uh, with Eiserman, but I do not like the build that he has going is, are these struggles with Eiserman enough to have the red wings at the basement of the Atlantic? I'll compare them to the Sabres and how far ahead. I think Buffalo is than Detroit. When we come back here on the lockdown Sabres podcast. Welcome back to the Locked on Sabres podcast with Joe DiBiase. Thanks for making us your first listen every day. Time to compare the Sabres and the Red Wings. How far ahead is Buffalo over Detroit? And yes, I think it should be assumed that the Sabres are above the Red Wings. I think their team is deeper. I think their team is actually more top-heavy, even. Um, the Red Wings' top two lines going into the year. Daily Faceoff projects at Dylan Larkin, Alex Debrinkett, Lucas Raymond. Okay, I like that line. J.T. Confort, David Perron, and Jonathan Berggren. Not a fan. That's a that is a bad second line. That's not even an underwhelming second line to me. That is a bad second line, and far worse than Thompson, Skinner, Tuck, and far worse than Cousins, Paterka, and whoever you want to throw in there. Casey Middlestadt. Um, the Red Wings have are 5,500 5, at our friends at Draft at uh, FanDuel. Um, to win the Stanley Cup. The Sabres are at plus 4,000. That is significantly higher. Last year, head-to-head, the Sabres went 4-0 against the Detroit Red Wings. They swept the season series. And in those four matchups, the Sabres beat the Red Wings 26-16. to 26-16. The Sabres, in four games against Detroit, averaged six and a half goals a game. The Red Wings could not stop Buffalo head-to-head last year. The Sabres scored eight goals, five goals, six goals, and seven goals against the Red Wings last season. I think it is clear that the Sabres are a better hockey team. They are better on the short term and are better on the long term than the Red Wings. And I think you could even point to Montreal up and coming as a team that could pass the Red Wings. I couldn't think you can make a serious argument that the team I least want to be for the next three to five years in the Atlantic Division might be the Detroit Red Wings. They really got a hit on these prospects, and they might, but I, I think you could make an argument that they are last in the Atlantic Division as soon as this season. Um, I Montreal, again, they got to get some goaltending. But to be fair, the Red Wings didn't have the goaltending last year either. I had the stat earlier that they had three goalies last year, none of which reached 900 save percentage. So Sabres, to me, far ahead of the Red Wings. I would expect the Sabres to be flirting with 100 points and competing for a playoff spot. And the Red Wings last year at 80, I I don't expect them to be any better than that. In fact, with the Sabres getting better and the Senators getting better, and I think the Panthers are going to have a better regular season, maybe that evens out with boston coming back down to earth um in fact it probably does i think 80 is another good projection for the red wings they added a couple of pieces so maybe i'd be willing to go a little bit higher into like the mid 80s but i don't see the red wings being a team that is alive in the final weeks of the season competing for a playoff spot i see them as a team that's eliminated by about february and that nobody is taking seriously as a playoff contender by the new year that's how I see the Red Wings. I think the Sabres are far ahead of them. I think the Senators are far ahead of them, and it's possible the Canadians are ahead of them as well. I think it's a terrible job so far that Steve Eiserman has done in Detroit. That's it for us on the Lockdown Sabers podcast today. Next up, we'll go through the Montreal Canadiens. If you agree with me on Detroit, if you think I am overstating how bad they are on the the next couple of years, how bad the moves are that they've been, let me know. Let me know if you think I'm wrong. Uh, at Sneaky Joe Sports, at Lockdown Sabers, or again on our YouTube channel. And again, for you everydayers, next up, we'll go through Montreal and what their build looks like. You know, they've got some high prospects, some top picks that are uh, going to be coming through the gates. So, we'll go through the Canadiens next time. Here on the Lockdown Sabres podcast, thanks for making us your first listen every day.